This is Medicaid Leadership Exchange, a podcast where Medicaid directors and other guests get frank about what it's like to steward the nation's largest health insurance program. Through Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program, 56 agencies administer a complex web of programs that provide access to essential health services. Listen in as we explore some of the challenges Medicaid leaders navigate and their top priorities to deliver services and build health. Hello, and welcome to the Medicaid Leadership Exchange. I'm your host, Gretchen Hammer. In this season, we're talking about how Medicaid and other health and human services systems could be better aligned to meet the needs of the individuals that they serve. We're going to explore the connections between behavioral health and Medicaid, early childhood, criminal justice, and housing. And we'll have lots of conversations that are detailed about policies and waivers and different programs. But most importantly, we want to always remember that this work is about people, and it's about the people who are served by these varieties of programs and how we have got to make sure that we are thoughtful about how they are working and how people who are accessing services are experiencing the supports. So today we are thrilled to talk with a fellow Coloradan, Samantha Fields. She is going to be joining us to share her experience and to talk about the ways that she's had the opportunity to help shape and inform, and I would argue improve, the programs here in the state of Colorado. So Samantha, I'll turn it over to you to let yourself introduce, to let you introduce yourself. Sure, thank you, Gretchen. Um, I'm Samantha Fields. Uh, I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I have been uh, a member on Medicaid since 2017 and part of advisory councils and other committees to try to make things better for all of the programs that that I use and that other people use, even programs that I may not use that I know other people could benefit from. Terrific. So maybe to help our listeners understand a little bit more about you, you mentioned that you have a variety of services and supports that help you to live in you know, the environment that you choose and to really thrive. Can you tell us a little bit about the kind of supports that you receive? Sure. I have Medicaid. I have Medicare. I also have SNAP benefits. I have a waiver through my Medicaid benefits. Um, I have subsidized housing. I have a lot of benefits. And unfortunately, they're all administered by different places, different people, and they can be complicated. And even the people that I go to to talk and say, hey, can you help me with this? They're like, I don't know what that is. I'm not sure what you're talking about. That can be frustrating but I've wanted to be a part of the solution instead of just being a complainer. It's really easy to complain because there's sometimes a lot to complain about. Um, But I really want to be someone that gets in there and says, what can my experience tell you about what your program is doing now, what it maybe could be doing, uh, what it's doing wrong, um, and just be a, a voice for people that don't have the time to do this. I'm very fortunate. I have the time to do these things. Um, a mom with three kids that, that you know has a job, she doesn't have time for this. So I feel like it's an, ob- an obligation of mine to do that for my community. And I really like being involved in this. You mentioned time, and that certainly is critical, but also sort of structured ways for you to, to bring those ideas to the, ben- to the folks that are administering the programs. How have you, or how did you originally sort of 
get connected to sharing your ideas or, you know, raising your hand and saying, I don't just want to complain. I really would like to contribute my ideas of how we could do this better. It actually started out with online surveys. And from there, I heard about a focus group for the governor's office of e-health innovation. And that always like fascinates me. So I went to that. And from that, I was, somebody contacted me and said, you know, would you like to be part of this member experience advisory council? And I have to say at that time in my life, I still was not very confident. I didn't think I had anything to offer anybody. And so when I started that, I went into it thinking, I don't even know why I'm here. Literally in that first meeting, I found out why I was there. They need to hear from us. They want to hear from us. And we are the ones that use these programs. Someone that's making a program might think they know how it should work or how it will work. And we get to tell them how it actually does work and how it could be better for us. Um, so I really fell into this. Um, one of my fellow advisory council members calls us accidental advocates. And he's completely right. None of us went into this thinking, oh, I want to be an activist and an advocate and you know help. We didn't. We went into it thinking, I want to learn more from me and then figured out, okay, I can learn more from me and my community. And we've just all been doing it ever since. I mean, there's a group of us that have been going at this for four years now, but we all fell into it. We have to think back and say, how did this all start? But we're really grateful that it did because it's really changed all of our lives in a very, very positive way. I want to ask, you know, was there anything in particular about the way you were invited or the structure of the meetings, right? We've all been to a town hall meeting where you get talked at the whole time and you never get a chance to say anything. And, you know, you leave more frustrated than when you showed up. But it sounds like the surveys and the focus group and the advisory council really created an environment where you could share. What, what was it that was unique about that for you? Yeah, the member experience advisory council really had a level playing field. We all, this was when we were first in person um, before the pandemic. So we all sat around a big table. We didn't know who was in there. There weren't name tags. You could be sitting next to the CEO of a company or the director of Medicaid and not know it. Um, it really leveled the playing field for us. Um, we were all given an opportunity to speak. We were all given an opportunity to share our stories and how things worked or didn't work. We were valued, respected, and it, it made us feel like we can make a difference. I had never been in an environment like that before, and it was very exciting, and I really wanted to be a part of that. And that's why I have continued working on these things for like four years now. Turning to then the kinds of things you've been able to influence, you know, when even from your personal experience, or as you said a couple of times, your community, you know, so where do you see the things most broken or sort of most frustrating? You know, is it the paperwork? Is it competing requirements to be parts of different programs? Sort of where is it most broken or most difficult to navigate? Um, I would say that you have to go to so many different departments, agencies, organizations to get the benefits that you have. It's like my benefits are state benefits administrated by the county. Because of my waiver, I have a single entry point organization I have to deal with. Um, I have a home health care agency. Um, there's just a lot of that. And you don't know who to go to. I'm lucky. I'm fortunate. I've been doing this for four years now. There are a lot of things I still don't know, but I know who I can go to. I have resources. And I always go back to that mom with three kids. What is she going to do? Who is she going to call? 
you know, is she going to call the county and wait online for three hours to talk to someone who will then say you have the wrong number? <laughs> I mean, that is really, really frustrating. Um, yeah. And those are the things that we're trying to give our opinions and suggestions about, like, this really isn't working. I mean, we look at the letters that they send out and they ask us, how does this make you feel? You know, are there words you don't understand? That's really important. And we have actually seen those letters change. I remember being in a meeting, talking about a letter, and then a couple months later, getting that letter and it was changed. That was like so amazing. You don't always get to see that change. Um, and also seeing that in the technology with the website, the app, I, I do usability testing and to see that the changes that I sub, you know, suggest actually come to fruition, it's like, wow, that's very empowering. But there's only a small group of us that get to do that. You know, everybody doesn't have time to do this or don't they don't have the technology to do it. I mean, again, I also think about, you know, I'm a senior, so I think about seniors who are not tech savvy. Um, you have to include everybody in some way, whether it's through a paper survey or something online or in person, um, that makes a huge difference. I mean, it really has to be inclusive and let everyone find a way to join in. I mean, and not with everything, but like some way, somewhere where they can share their opinion. Okay. And does it, have you seen that some places are better? And I'm, I'm thinking about that for our listeners who may you know, work at the state or they may work at a Medicaid managed care company or at a single entry point or something. You know, I think I sometimes when I think of, you know, I trust my pediatrician more than I would maybe trust, you know, my health insurer to tell me what I should do for my child. So when you think about the right place to engage people, you mentioned multiple mod, mo modes of that, paper surveys, et cetera. But have you also in your experience found that there are some issues that are better dealt with in different environments? Yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of depends on what issue we're looking at. What we find interesting as members, as patients, is that now organizations, agencies, departments of the state are coming to us first and saying, we would like to make this change or, you know, how can we improve this? But they're coming to us and asking. <clears throat> and I think any agency that does not have a, an advisory council of members or patients is really losing out. That's that's how they will get changes made. And I mean, for me, telehealth and everything going virtual was awesome. I'm sorry we had a pandemic, but honestly, it was the best thing for me. I've never been more engaged, more involved, met more people, worked on more projects. And I think that's a good thing. I don't want us to lose that because they want to go back to you know in person, but they're gonna make them hybrid will make us still feel involved in that. that that's yeah. really important. We've talked a lot about sort of the single Medicaid membership advisory or member experience advisory council. How, if at all, have like you seen the Department of Housing or the Division of Housing collaborate or you mentioned SNAP benefits, right? In Colorado, that's in a different department, Department of Human Services. Have you seen this process or in other ways, have you been able to sort of help build bridges between two of the programs that maybe you're accessing. Yeah, that's one of the things we see is everything is so siloed. They don't talk to each other. And we always find it amazing. It's like, why is not CDHS, Department of Human Services, talking to Medicaid? And so I'm fortunate because as soon as I finished up with the Member Experience Advisory Council on the Medicaid side, 
I joined the Department of Human Services Family Voice Council. And I feel like I'm that bridge. I'm like always going back to them and giving information back and forth. Say, do you know about this? Have you heard about this? You know, if a presenter comes into Family Voice Council, I'm like, wow, you need to go over and talk to the Member Experience Advisory Council. Um, and I get to work with those people and say, you know, how can we make sure that we're not duplicating efforts? Because we see that too. There's a lot of duplicated effort. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, again, since I had the chance to work in Colorado, we did have cross-department staff meetings, but you're right. I'm not sure we ever had sort of cross-department member meetings, you know, uh, with, with great intentionality. And so I, one, it's amazing that you've been able to serve on both, but perhaps a reminder that if, if we are smart enough to think we need staff from two different departments to talk to one another, perhaps we should be smart enough to also figure out how would we engage uh, members who receive services from the same departments. We see that they don't talk to each other, like over on the healthcare policy and financing side. Just getting those people to like look at each other's meetings is always difficult. We're like, we've already said this in this meeting. Now we have to go and say it in this meeting. And now they want us to, that gets really frustrating too. It's like, we would like to just tell you all once so you can all hear us at the same time. And so we're working at that too, is making sure that the member group is um, more involved with all these other groups and that they remember to come back to us or to just come to us and ask us what our opinions are on these subjects. And have you found, just picking up on that uh, piece of insight, have you found there are specific times in the program development process where it's most effective to engage you? I mean, certainly you said, you know, reviewing letters before they get sent out, but you know, let's say they were going to make a change to the waiver that that supports you. What, when is it most effective to, to really engage member voice and engage member perspective? What we've been doing as a group now is telling them we want to be involved as soon as you think of the project or the, the change. We don't want to wait till you've done that change or, you know, come up with this program because then we're going to have to go back and, and tell you, oh, well, that doesn't really work. You know, we want to be part of it so that it just flows easier and so that they can get our opinions up front. And that's happening a lot more now. They do come to us ahead of time and say, we're thinking about this. You know, what, what do you as a member think about it? You know, how, what change would you make? What would you suggest we do? Um, and again, that's very empowering for us. And we also know that we're valued. They really want to hear what we have to say. And if there was no changes being made, I don't think any of us would continue doing this. But even though the changes are incremental, we see that there is change. So that's why we keep doing this, because we are making a difference as a group of people who want to say this can be done so much better. And on that note, one of the places I always wished I had more member insight was sort of on our evaluation metrics, right? I mean, some of the clinical evaluation metrics are, you know, for a child is, you know, did they get immunized? Well, I want to know, you know, is the kiddo able to attend school regularly and, you know, uh, play with their friends and do those kinds of things. So how, if at all, have you or could you see members better help defining success um, or defining impact of a program? Yeah, I've actually been involved in that. Um, they have the um, alternative payment method for providers. And they're looking at all these different metrics. They call them KPIs, key performance indicators. Um, I happen to be a geek and like those things, but it's still really complicated and confusing to me sometimes. 
Um, one example I can give is one of the metrics they had was, does a provider accept new patients? And I looked at that and I said, well, th them saying they do accept it is fine, but do they actually accept them? That's what I want to know. And they just kind of looked at me like, oh, wow, we hadn't thought about that. And I'm like, well, that's why I'm here. That's why members come to these meetings is because you look at those things as data and numbers and that's not us. We look at it and go, that's our life you're talking about. You know, if you're saying we want this metric to be, you know, every kid goes for a well checkup. Well, are you thinking again of that single mom that can't get there with her kids because she has a job? You know, are you thinking of the senior that can't get in for their, their checkup because they don't have transportation or they're not mobile? Um, those are the things that we bring to that. We bring the real world to all of these numbers. And it's been great that they let us in those meetings and now they want us in those meetings. I mean, there are multiple meetings like that that we are now involved in. I mean, I'm a voting member on one of them and I, that I, I know I'm valued. I know what I say is respected. And I love when I talk about the experiences I have and people are like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I'm like, yes, that, that makes me feel good. I, I want to educate them on what is happening with us as members and patients. Terrific. So I know we're coming up on our time. I wonder if you would maybe close us with like the one or two things that you would give advice to agency staff, right? Who maybe feel like, oh, it sounds so amazing how Samantha's been involved, but like that's overwhelming. We have you know so many members and it's a big state or whatever. Like what's the, what would you say as advice to sort of help people get over any any concerns they would have about actually doing this kind of work as you've described it? I would just say it works. In Colorado, it works. Um, we've been, like I said, I've been doing this for four years and we see the changes that are being made. I would say, please have an advisory council that is members or patients. That's the first thing you can do. You will not know what the problem is if you don't hear what the problem is. We are the ones that can tell you that. And we're not doing it to complain. We're doing it because we are grateful for these benefits. These benefits change my life for the better, but it could be a better system. It could be more streamlined. I don't want to fill out five applications for the state. I want to fill out one for all the benefits. That's not happening. I wish I didn't have to deal with the state and the county and another agency for waiver and a home care agency. And it's a lot. Um, and I think they just need to keep that in mind that we can be overwhelmed too as members and we're not asking questions to be naughty or mean. We're asking questions because we really need to know our lives are depending on this. And so I, the, the very first thing, please get people involved. Let the members speak up for what is important to them um, and then make the processes easier. You know, I always talk about a one-stop shop. You know, I want to go to one place or one website and get everything I need. And I think that's something that can be done. I think they just go, well, I'd have to, you know, how do I get all these departments together to do it? But I think that could really work. We also talk about having a navigator assigned to you as soon as you join a program or join Medicaid that stays with you the whole time. You go to them when you have an issue. You don't have to go online and say, I don't even know where to look this up. You know, I'll call the state. Okay, well, no, I need to call the county. Oh, well, no, I need to call somebody else. That's really frustrating. Those are the things they could do to make this system so much better. And it's not like on the policy level or you know, benefits level, it's really on the people level. Make sure you understand that you're working with people every single day. 
And that's what we want to do is say, look at me. I'm the one that your benefit is going to affect. Remember me when you're making these changes. Terrific. Thank you so much. And, you know, the other thing you mentioned is not only creating the advisory council, but also creating the right environment, right? That it's it's an environment of equality. It's an environment of equal value. Um, and the other thing you really pulled out in this conversation is being responsive. You you certainly have said you don't expect every suggestion you all make to make it across the finish line, right? It's just not possible. And you you know that. But man, is it gratifying for any of us who spend our time and commit our time to helping to actually see that those ideas, you know, come out in a letter or see an improvement or something. So I think I think of the notion of creating the right environment with the right attitude of equality and honoring of your expertise. You know, we used to talk about we we hire outside experts all of the time. Our members are our closest expert, right? Um, but also then to be responsive um, and to make when we make a mistake to admit that we've made a mistake. So terrific. Did you have anything else you wanted to share on the podcast today? I just want to say that people should get involved in their advisory councils, their committees, boards. I think people don't understand how much influence they can have and what changes can come about because of just one thing that one person says that not only could help them, but might help their whole community. So I'm always encouraging people, if you can get involved in any way, even if it's just filling out an online survey, you know, if you can go to a meeting, great, but do anything that you can, because that does matter. All of that data that they get, they turn into action. And that action means that we get a better program. And that means we have a better life. Terrific. Well, we will end it there. Thank you so much for your service. And as a fellow Coloradan, thanks for the work that you've been doing in our state. Thank you. It was a pleasure. This podcast is a collaboration between the Center for Healthcare Strategies and the National Association of Medicaid Directors. It is made possible by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation.